Good evening. Good evening. Thank you to the Walpaw family for sponsoring this evening Sheer. It is sponsored in honor of the yard site of David's mother, Masha Bas Yehuda. Her neshama should have an aliyah. Amen. Likely this will be the first of maybe two, maybe three, we'll have to see, discussions on the topic of machshava. Machshava not to be confused with hashkafa, right? sometimes they're used interchangeably, but machshava meaning thoughts, the mind, the power of the, the inner world, that can transform our entire experience in life. Everything I do, every moment of communication, every experience of consciousness is all based on, obviously, what's going on within my inner world. You could have two people experiencing the exact same thing. Externally, we're in the same place. We're in the same situation, we're in the same circumstance, but we might be in a different universe from each other. Depending on where I am, how am I perceiving what's going on around me, where are you, what's your perception. So when we think about Hashkafas HaTorah, right, the Torah outlook on life, delving into the power and the application of the koach ha-machshava, the power of thought, is something that's extremely fundamental and will have ramifications pretty much in everything and anything that we do. The Chafetz Chaim once came to the yeshiva in Slobodka and he commented, he said, looking around the yeshiva and speaking to the Talmidim and knowing what the altar of Slobodka has created, I'm able to take a young man who comes to yeshiva and be mechazek him and hopefully maintain his level of kedusha and help him along. But there's a unique quality about the yeshiva in Slobodka, which is they have the ability lasso shinui ba'adam. Somehow people come into this yeshiva and they're transformed human beings. They're elevated almost into a different plane of existence. Said the Chafetz Chaim, I don't have that ability. There's something special in the four walls of this yeshiva. So what was so special? The Sefer Torah Savram, we've quoted from many times before, it was authored by the Mashgiach of Slobodka, with Avram Brzezinski, Hashem Yakom Domov, he perished in the Holocaust. And in the, towards the back of the Sefer, there's a, a section called Derech Aliyah, which really means the way of ascent. Derech Aliyah was written when the yeshiva got together and the Mashkiach, the Taurus of Ram, was recalling different facets of the altar's personality, the altar of Slobodka. And he mentioned three major chidushim, 
revolutions that, that he noticed in the yeshiva. And what I want to do tonight is focus on the first one that he mentioned. And I think this might be one of the key ingredients to what the Chafetz Chaim was observing when he said, there's something about this place that there's a shinui ba'adam, people are transformed when they walk into the yeshiva. So writes the Torah of Ram, the first unique quality that the altar of Slobodka was able to infuse in the culture of the yeshiva was machshava, the focus on developing, cultivating, and expanding the way we think and the way we, we engage in this internal world of our perception of ourselves, of our Vodas Hashem, of our interactions. He says, If a person is able to train himself or herself to think deeply in spiritual matters, Rav Koho, that can change you. Thinking within the realm of Torah, Rav Koho Lahashpiya Allah Adam has the ability to influence, to have an impact on the person. Machshava Tadiris, and if I habituate myself to think deeply regarding meaningful things, and I do it consistently, Osa Esa Adam Hadavuk Ish Ruchani, that can transform me into a spiritual being. So who am I? What, what makes the difference? What creates my identity? Am I just an average guy doing regular mundane things, watching the Super Bowl and then talking about it afterwards? Or am I Ish Ruchani? Am I a spiritual, elevated, angelic human being? What makes the difference? The answer is simple. What do you think about? What's on your mind? It's not about what you do for a living. It's not about where you live. It's not about anything external, but my identity as to whether I'm not, whether I'm, I'm a mundane, almost secular person, or I'm uplifted and sanctified is based on what do I think about consistently? There is nothing that can have an impact on the heart of a human being like one's thoughts. If I am able to transcend some of the, the narishkeit, some of the distractions of of everyday existence, and I could think about and be engaged and absorbed in meaningful, thoughtful machshava, then there's no limit to the level of spirituality I could attain. We find a similar idea in the Eish Kodesh, the Eish Kodesh in the, the section where he speaks about young men who are uh, probably in their 20s and 30s, giving them guidance how to grow in their Avodah Hashem. He says the goal is not to be connected only during tefillah 
and, and learning. But rather the goal is, I should feel a connection always. That's a very lofty thing to strive for. But we're looking for consistency in a feeling of being really connected with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Ki mi hayom hediot. These are very harsh words. If every part of my day I'm a hediot, which means I'm just a simple guy not thinking about anything meaningful, and I'm buried within the schmutz and the superficiality of this world, then gamde toroso, then even when I have a moment to learn, or I turn my focus to davening, I'm still going to be a hediot. I'm still going to be very simple and mundane. Because when it comes to the mind, it's impossible to turn it on and off. If I'm not cultivating depth and, and a rich connection with Hashem in every area of life, then it's impossible to just flip the switch when it comes to davening, when it comes to learning, when it comes to chesed. Now I'm totally into ruchnius. That's not who I am. I can't just transform myself unless I cultivate that way of thinking. There's a somewhat common question that comes up. You have a young man who he wants to be in yeshiva full-time. However, his parents are pressuring him. You really got to start college. You got to get a degree. You have to make a parnasso. So they compromise on going to college a few nights a week, but his main, uh, his main focus is in yeshiva. And the question arises, or the young man will ask, if I spend about an hour doing homework and, and studying for tests, I'll be able to pass. I'll get a C, maybe a B minus, but I, I could pass. If I spend a few hours studying and actually taking it more seriously, then I could get A's. But is that considered somewhat of a bittles ma? Maybe I'm wasting time from what's more important to me. Obviously, I agree I have to have a parnasa, I have to support my family, but maybe it's more kedai to do it half-baked, just to get by, and then devote more time to learning. What would you answer to that question, doctor? <laughs> so it's interesting. We have a Masora from Rabbi Yaakov Kavanetsky, from Rav Pam and others, that the general answer to this question was, don't do anything half-baked. It doesn't mean you have to spend every waking moment trying to ace the test. But what it does mean is, if you're studying something, then learn it and do it well and acquire that knowledge. Because what happens is, if I go through life allowing myself to do things half-baked, without real devekus ha connection of the mind. So then when it comes to those other areas that might be more important, that might require more intellectual or emotional focus, I'm not ready for that. So the way I think, the way I mentally engage in, in, in everything that I do, it has to be my ongoing mahalach hachaim, it has to be my way of life. You can't turn it on and off. We know the famous story of Dumbo, 
one particular very moving part in the story, Dumbo and Timothy are discovered asleep high in a tree by Dandy Crow and his friends. Initially making fun of Timothy, of Timothy's uh, assertion that Dumbo flew with his ears well drunk, the crows are soon moved by Dumbo's sad story. They decide to help Timothy and they give him a magic feather. The magic feather, they say, will enable Dumbo to fly again. Holding the feather, Dumbo does indeed take off a second time, and he and Timothy return to the circus with plans to surprise the audience, and they do. However, as he's flying, we know famously Dumbo drops the feather. But Timothy assures him it was only a psychological aid. And Dumbo successfully flies about the big top, much to the delight of the public, and throws peanuts to the other elephants as payback. Dumbo gains fame and fortune. Baruch Hashem, he's reunited with his mother. And the story ends happily. Uh, they get a nice contract for Hollywood. Fame and wealth and prestige. All is good. So the idea, though, of Dumbo thinking he was only able to fly because of the feather, and then being convinced that the feather has nothing to do with your ability to fly. You could do it by yourself. You don't need the feather. So that might be referred to as the placebo effect, where the treatment or the medication or the activity isn't really doing anything. However, because it makes me feel productive, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm healthier or I'm doing something I couldn't do otherwise, that, that perception actually gives me the ability to do something where before I felt restricted, I felt limited, but now that I'm taking this pill, even if it happens to be a sugar pill or saline, or as an injection of water, it's not really medication, but in my mind I, I'm thinking this will help me, and miraculously, oftentimes it does. Now, what does this have to do with the koach of machshava? Everything. Usually, when you're analyzing something, you're having a discussion, whether or not this is a valid treatment, whether or not this modality is something that's worth your time or money, the response might be, the only reason why some people claim it works is because placebo effect. It doesn't really do anything. But that's why you'll have 20-30% of people claiming and swearing by this particular modality. What that shows us, though, is that the mind is a very powerful tool. If I'm able to convince myself that something I feel I cannot do, I can't push myself past this point, it's uncomfortable, it's anxiety-provoking, but if I'm allowed to feel something else externally can have an impact on me, even if it doesn't really make any difference in my brain chemistry, now I'm a different person. I have a new ability. That means the way I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling, can have a massive impact on my ability to perform and do things that I didn't feel comfortable doing yesterday.
Now, this idea goes back way before Dumbo. Lahabdil, the Rambam, tells us that on Shabbos, one is allowed to walk outside, even in a place where there is no Eruv, with, uh, with the Kameya, some kind of medicinal um, necklace that was worn in the times of the Gemara. And what's interesting, though, is the Rambam himself was of the opinion that the Kameya didn't do anything. It wasn't really helpful. It was a superstitious belief that people felt it would work, but in his opinion, he knew that it doesn't do anything. So why are you allowed to wear it outside in Shabbos? The language of the Rambam is, if you're doing so mishum refuah, you're trying to heal, and the doctors are telling you this will help, you're allowed to wear it outside in Shabbos. But why? If it's not really helping, then I'm violating Shabbos. The Rambam has a similar halacha regarding uh, the discussion of different forms of Avodah Zorah. The Rambam says, If a person is bitten by a scorpion or a snake, it is permissible for him to say incantations over the place of the wound, even on Shabbos, where generally speaking, Devarim Betelim, extra words that are not in the spirit of Shabbos are not appropriate. But in a case like this, you're doing it for Rafua, and explains the Rambam. You're allowed to do something which is far from ideal on Shabbos because it will bring you Yishuv Hadas. It will settle the mind and it will strengthen your heart. And here he spells it explicitly. Even though I'm of the opinion that it will not help you at all. It's silly. Incantations don't heal snake bites. Nonetheless, Hoel Masukanhu, because one is in danger, Hitirulo Kadeshalo Titarif Daito Alav, Chazal said you're allowed to do this in order that you don't lose your way and feel a sense of despair that could actually lead to a deeper level of risk to your life. So even though it doesn't work, and even though it's not ideal to say these incantations on Shabbos, you're allowed to do so because it could still be helpful. Now if you're reading this halacha, so I'm reading and I'm understanding now that the Rambam's opinion is that this particular modality of incantation, right, lo moal klum, it doesn't do anything. Am I still allowed to do it, even though now I know the Rambam informed me, he revealed to me, medically speaking, this does nothing? Or is this halacha only true for someone who's living in the dark? Someone who believes in that form of superstitious healing? For them, they're allowed to do it because they think it helps. What would you guess? It seems pretty clear from the wording of the Rambam 
saying, you're going to read the halacha, and I'm telling you what to do. I'm giving you guidelines how to live life. I'm telling you it doesn't help. It's not going to work. But I'm also telling you, you're allowed to do it. Because it could still be machazek libo. It could still give you a sense of, of security and peace of mind. And we have research on this. Not like the Rambam needs to be supported by research. But there's an interesting article from the Cleveland Clinic that speaks about the placebo effect and how one's mind could be such a powerful tool. Take a look here at page three. You see, usually when they're testing a medication, they do a double-blind study, which basically means they have two groups. Each group assumes they're getting the, the trial medication, and one group is getting placebo, which is basically a sugar pill. There's nothing there whatsoever. And the other group is getting the, the experimentation medicine. And then we analyze. How did they do? Was there a difference? Now, neither the patients nor the researchers know which group is getting the placebo, so there's no bias whatsoever. Often those who take the placebo will have just as much of a positive impact than those that are getting something real. The greater Kiddush, though, is that even in a particular study where they tell you beforehand, we're giving you the placebo, which means this pill has no real medication inside of it, and the other group, right, you're telling them that you're giving them the real thing when in reality it's only a placebo. So I think we all would have assumed if I know this is worthless, it's not going to help me. However, they found out quite to the contrary that although you might know intellectually that taking this has no impact, the fact that you're doing something that feels like it has a medicinal value can still have that effect of if it's anxiety, if it's pain, if it's nausea, it can mitigate those feelings of discomfort, even though I know intellectually there's nothing here of medicinal value. So the Rambam is telling us something we've known for hundreds of years, is that the koach ha-machshava, when I, when I look at something in a way where it can make me feel more comfortable, it can make me feel more at ease. Nothing externally has to happen for me to actually get to that place I want to be. So what we have to do, Amir Tashem, is explore what are some of the, the basic examples we have within Hashkafa Torah. I don't want to call them mind games, but they're forms of meditation where Chazal give us tools, what to think about, how to envision ourselves and the world around us, to be able to accomplish things that otherwise would seem almost impossible. That's the goal of Ritzeshem. I want to just start off tonight with one basic guideline, and then we'll continue next week going through some examples of meditations that we find in, in Chazal, in the Bali Musr, in some of the Svarim of Chasidus, but one starting point. 
when it comes to this world of machshava, being forceful with oneself is the way to fail. Anything I'm trying to think about, if I try too hard, I'm not going to think about it. If I'm trying not to think about something, like we mentioned in our OCD discussion, if I try too hard not to think of something, then by definition, I'll think about it. There was a, uh, a Misa with the Baal Shem Tov, that there was supposedly someone who was a very, very impressive Magid. People spoke very highly of him. And the disciples of the Baal Shem Tov wanted to know, is he the real deal? Is he someone we should go to for advice or to get a bracha? And the Baal Shem Tov said, ask him the following question. Ask him if he could train you to have total mastery and control over your mind and your thoughts. Okay. The Hasidim were assuming that if he says, yes, I can make you a master of your mind, obviously he's the real deal. If he says he can't do that, then he doesn't have the, uh, the credentials. But the Baal Shem Tov said the exact opposite. He said, if this Talmud Chacham tells you that the mind is a wild, deep place, and no matter how much guidance I give you, it's impossible to have total shlita, total control and mastery over your mind, then he's somebody you want to learn from because he's speaking the truth. My Rosh Hashiva used to say that one should never feel too bad when strains or inappropriate thoughts enter the mind because the mind is an open garbage pail. That's actually a clinical term. Right? The mind is an open garbage pail. Things come in all the time. So the goal is not to have a mastery and a control over all of our thoughts. However, our exploration of Ritz Hashem will be, what are some of those, those techniques that we find within our Masora to be able to utilize and tap into some of these really powerful machshavos? When you're holding a, uh, a stick or a baseball bat, obviously the, the tighter your grip is, so the closer and the more connected you are to that item. That's true in the Olam HaGashmi, in the physical world. When it comes to the world of Machshava, it's more like a watermelon seed. Uh, you're taking a little seed out of a watermelon and it's very slippery, you have it between your, your fingers. What happens when you press down too tight? It slips away. So this is really kind of the backbone, the foundation of how we approach tapping into that, that wellspring of power of the mind, where it's almost benachas. We go in in a very gentle, very laid back, calm way, and that's how we'll have the most power in utilizing the machshava. If we're too stiff and we're too aggressive and we're too forceful, then we almost push it away and then that little watermelon seed slips. So we have this amazing ability within us. Our internal world can have a massive impact 
on allowing us and enabling us to do things that we never thought we could do. And Mitzvah Shem, I look forward to exploring together some of those examples of meditation and uh, mind games we can play to enhance our Vodas Hashem. Shkoyach.